Father, we just uh, thank you for that power. And uh, just the knowing that that power lives inside of us lets us not only live our lives on a day-to-day basis, but lets us be bold in you. And lets us be bold in sharing the gospel with those around us. And uh, as we dive into your word this morning, Lord, I just pray that you would just teach us how to continue to grow closer to you so that we might become bold. Amen. Okay, kids, it's time to go to your go to your class with Miss Melissa. Yay. All right. Well, good morning. I know I've been up here a couple times, but uh, I want to uh, just say uh, how excited uh, me and, and Mandy and the girls are to be here. Uh, it's been a, a long two to three weeks um, getting uh, uh, moved and, and settled and you think you've got every box undone and then you turn a corner or open a door and there's another box or seven. Um, but uh, uh, we're, we're really excited to be here and get started. Uh, uh, we, the girls will start school tomorrow, so be praying for them as we um, enroll them and, and get that going. But uh, I also want to stop and, and thank everybody that helped us last weekend. Um, there was a crew that drove to Taylor with a truck and brought it back and helped us unload. There's a crew here that helped us um, when we got here, and uh, we are just so grateful for that. So thank you. Um, and then also, uh, we were told this morning that there's a bunch of food for us in the fellowship hall um, to stock our pantry. So thank you. Um, it is much, much appreciated, um, especially as uh, we uh, are still in transition with Mandy's job. Uh, during the week, I will be a single dad. Um, and so having that stuff helps out a lot as well. So, so thank you. Um, and, uh, one other thing I want to just mention, cause it's a question that gets asked a lot of, 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 of new pastors is, um, what version of the Bible do you preach from? And, uh, uh, for me, I preach from the English standard version and contrary to popular belief, it's not because John is English. It is, uh, <laughs> I don't want his head to get big. Um, it is, uh, for me, and, and, and I have some friends uh, that, that are uh, very much more scholarly than me that teach at, at seminaries and, and are uh, uh, around, the, around the country and the world, and they, and they feel this way very strongly. And if they feel this way, they're way more qualified to know than me. Um, but it's, it's, it's one of the versions, one of the, uh, a couple versions that is, is the most readable for us today, but is tr- as true to the language. Um, the original text that there was there. So that's why I use the ESV, not saying that the other ones are wrong, um, but, uh, um, and, and I do will incorporate some other versions at times, and, and I do study those other versions, but that's the version that, that fits for me. Um, if you have the Bible app, you can just continue to switch back and forth to whatever you like if you see something. So, um, uh, so uh, let's get started. Are we ready to do this? Yeah, I, I am, yeah. So we're going to start a series today. Uh, on the parables of Jesus and, uh, and on the parables of Jesus and how through the use of Jesus' stories, we can continue to grow and develop ourselves into the followers of Christ so that as we develop ourselves, as God works in us and grows us more into him, then we can use that growth inside of us to help further the kingdom 
of God that he's called the church to take to the world. And so how we can look at the stories that Jesus told, develop our story more to help influence someone else's story in their journey to Christ. I'm really excited about it. It's, it's, it's cool. We're not going to touch on every um, parable through this, but I, I want to pause and just ask you the question. Isn't story, isn't our story, isn't God's story what Christianity is all about? How we fit into that? Because our story is, is a retelling of the gospel story. If we have experienced the life-saving power of Jesus Christ, if we know and believe that he came and lived a life, a perfect, sinless, blameless life, so that he could carry our sins to the cross, and then defeat that and rise again three days later so that we can have grace and forgiveness and we can have hope in eternity. If we believe that, then our story, our journey, what happened in our lives that led us to that point is really retelling the gospel story. And so when we, when we begin to think in those terms and when we, we realize that, that's what makes me so excited about the journey that we're about to begin together. Because God is bringing all of our stories together to further his story. And we're going to look at the parables to see how Jesus' use of these stories helped him further that story. So that when we see people who are close to us, who are in our circle or sphere of influence... When they see the changes in our story that God's made in us, it will leave an indelible imprint on their lives as well. As we go about life doing it with other people together and they see God changing us and God developing our story more, it will begin to change their story. And so that's how I want us to see this. They can, other people in our lives can experience Jesus through us. And they can experience these stories. So in this series, we're not going to hit on all of them, like I said, but we're going to look at quite a few of them and how the stories that were told back then, we can now apply to our lives today. And how we can see the things that Jesus is teaching, how, how he is, is basically saying, think about this and do life this way. How we can apply them to our lives so that we begin to lay a foundation for where God's taking us. And it's going to be a journey because Change doesn't happen quickly, but it's going to be, in what I really believe, it's going to be a great adventure. And we're going to start and we're going to move in to the Gospel of Luke chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, turn with us to that. But we're going to start in chapter 5. And this, here in Luke chapter 5, Jesus, his ministry has begun and he's beginning to call his disciples. And, and, and when we talk about his disciples, these are people that sell their lives out to follow him. They give up everything they have to follow this man. And in the context of of the day, there were disciples for different groups. John the Baptist had his disciples. The Pharisees had their disciples. Um, If you know anything about the life of Paul, when he was growing up, he was a disciple of a rabbi named Gamaliel. And so there were all these different little things of disciples. We see this at today's time that people are, 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 are they support, they, 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 they buy into a cause and they give everything to their life 
for that cause. And so they would be a disciple of that. But here, Jesus would begin to call his disciples. And as you go through Luke chapter 5, you see that Jesus calls Levi. We know Levi more commonly known as Matthew. And he calls him to be a disciple. And, and, and Matthew um, was a tax collector. And so tax collectors at the time, just like our IRS today, gets rich off of other people. And, and so Matthew was going to be giving up a lot to become a disciple of Jesus because he was no longer going to be a tax collector. He was going to travel the world as they knew it at the time to be with Jesus and to learn to be like Jesus, to follow Jesus, and to grow in this. So Matthew's given up a lot. And in, in chapter, chapter 5, as, 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 as Jesus has called him, think about this. You're giving up everything you know. And you're going to leave the comfort, the security of everything you've had to go follow an unknown. That's probably going to be a pretty somber moment. It's probably going to be a pretty um, one that's kind of stressful, um, anxiety, uh, fear built up. If you're like me, you're going to just curl up into a fetal position in the corner and cry. Matthew doesn't do that. He throws a feast. He throws a party. And, and, he, and has all these other tax collectors and these Pharisees come and, and be at this feast. A big dinner party. And so, as, now think about this. While, the, while at this party, you've got tax collectors, which many people don't like tax collectors. They really didn't like them back then. And then you have the Pharisees. The Pharisees, and there was other people there, I'm, I, I'm sure as well, but the Pharisees, if we think back to what we know about the Pharisees, they were very legalistic. They were stuck following the law to the letter that it had been written, as it had been taught to them. They were trained to not break these rules. And so they were very legalistic in that mindset. And, and, and because of the... Because of this lack of freedom in their lives, I, I, I think they became very cynical. I think they became very bitter. Because when you are locked into something that you have no control over and you lose any freedom in your life, don't you become kind of cynical and bitter? And that's what, what I, I feel like that was happening. So look here in Luke 5, verses 31 and 32. It says, <clears throat> So they, as they are grumbling about this, some ask, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? This is leading up to 31. And Jesus answers them and says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So these Pharisees are grumbling um, about the fact that Jesus... And Matthew, Jesus' new disciple, are sitting here and they're not dining with those that are pure and righteous. They're hanging out with the dirty people, the people that sin, the people that are unsavory in character, tax collectors, sinners. And so they ask, why are you doing this? And Jesus says, well, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those that are sick do. You know, it's been said a lot that the church should be a hospital for people. People that are broken and hurt. 
That's where the church should come. The people should be able to come to the church for healing. And so Jesus tells them this. says, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I, I said this for a long time in, 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 in a... Um, or I've heard this said a lot, and I've kind of changed it in my mind. Uh, but I heard this said a lot that if Jesus were to come back today, he's not going to come into the church. He's going to go to the bars. He's going to go to the, the casinos. He's going to go to the places that people, that the sinners really are. And I, and I grew up believing that and hearing people say that. And I was like, yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And then as I got to be in the church and know the church and learn the church in a lot of churches, it's exactly where Jesus needs to come back. Yeah. Come on. And one... Those churches need Jesus more than ever. But two, the churches where the people that need to be healed are supposed to come. So we can open our arms and receive those people and love them and begin to see that healing in them. So Jesus continues the conversation, or the conversation continues in verse 33. And they begin to question, these Pharisees begin to question the motives of Jesus' disciples. And the way they do it is they compare. And they say, look at John's disciples. John's disciples seem to be much more spiritual than Jesus' disciples. In fact, they even say it. They said, they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers. And so do the disciples of the Pharisees. But Jesus, your disciples, they eat and drink. Something's wrong with them. They're not following what they're supposed to. They're not being the way they're supposed to be. They're grumbling. They're like, this isn't adding up to everything I know. Something's not right about this. And they're comparing what Jesus' disciples are doing to what they've seen in other disciples, disciples of other men. And Jesus answers them with a question. And, and to me, when I read the scriptures, so often I get frustrated at the way Jesus answers a question. Because he answers a question with a question. And my response to that is, what am I supposed to do with that? I didn't get an answer. I got another question, and now my mind is spinning. But as you continue to read through Jesus' answers, you start to see it unpacked and unfold. And so Jesus answers them when he says, why do they not do what John's disciples and the Pharisees do? Why do they not follow that? And Jesus says, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Look at verses 33 through 39. And they said to him, the disciples of John fast often and offer prayers, and so do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours eat and drink. And then Jesus said, as we've talked about just a minute ago, can you make wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? Then in verse 35, he says, the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in those days. Who's he talking about? He's talking about himself. If the church is the bride of Christ... Jesus is the bridegroom. And so he's foreshadowing that he's going to leave. Then he says in verse 36, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on an old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wine skins. If he does, the new wine will burst the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. Then in verse 38, he says, but new wine must be put into fresh wineskins and no one after drinking old wine desires new for he says the old is good. So Jesus, like I said, responds in his typical way of answering a question with a question. 
And in my sermon a couple weeks ago, I mentioned the fact that one of the things I love most about the scriptures is that you can see the context of the culture that this scripture was written in. And so in the context of the times here, we're looking at a Jewish wedding. And I think back to my wedding. And my day started that day about 9 o'clock in the morning. And we finally got to the hotel that we were staying at that night about 7 o'clock in the evening. And I was exhausted. It was a long day, right? You got all this stuff going on. You got the excitement and everything. Throw in with that the night before you had the rehearsal and rehearsal dinner. And it just is a long 24 hours. Jewish weddings were a week-long event. They went forever. And there was all sorts of stuff going in. So put that into context. And Jesus is saying, basically, while the bridegroom is there, it would be rude to ask these people not to celebrate. If they're going to be there for a week, it's rude not to celebrate and feast. You got to keep them fed. You got to keep them happy. You don't want your wedding guests upset. And so Jesus is saying that while the bridegroom is there, it's a celebration. You know, oftentimes people make jokes about weddings being a man's funeral. That is not true. Jesus changes that. He says, I'm not here for a funeral. I'm here to make life a wedding feast. I'm here to make life a party. I'm here to make life full of joy. He answers them saying, I am the bridegroom and I'm going to take care of my people. Jesus brings joy. And when I say Jesus brings joy, that doesn't mean happiness, fuzzy feelings all the time. He brings true, unbridled joy. And I try and put this in the context of something that I can fully understand in, in today. And, and, and for me, uh, baseball is my sport. I've grown up loving watching baseball. I played baseball for a long time. But unfortunately, the team that I chose doesn't know how to win very much. In fact, we've never won a World Series. I'm a Texas Rangers fan. Um, Lifelong fan. First stadium I ever went to when I was like seven years old. Grew up going to the games. Um, You ask me anything about any player, I probably know it. I, I, I love the Texas Rangers. And there was never a more exciting moment for me than in October of 2010. Because I grew up watching them stink. When I was in high school, they finally made it to the playoffs only to get beat by the Yankees every year, three out of four years, barely scoring any runs. And then in 2010, we finally make it past the first series We get to the AL Championship Series and we're facing the Yankees. The team that I grew up hating because they beat my team in the playoffs the only times we've ever gotten there. So we get to that, we get to game six. Yankees are on the brink. They're fixing to get beat. And probably the most hated player to ever wear a Texas Rangers uniform in my mind 
comes to the plate with two outs in the bottom of the ninth. His name is Alex Rodriguez. And Alex Rodriguez had signed the biggest contract in history at the time for $252 million, only to say how much he wanted out of Texas after three years because they weren't any good. So they traded him to the Yankees, and now come full circle, Alex Rodriguez has, is coming up, and he is the chance for the Rangers to get the last out to send them to the first World Series that they've ever been to. The crowd's going crazy. I wish I could have been there because, I mean, it's just like 49,000 people just going crazy. They, they recognize the magnitude of the moment. Strike one. Strike two. Now he's down to his final strike. The next pitch, he fouls it off. And you just know, because I grew up being a Rangers fan, and I'm also a Texas Tech fan, you never get anything good. You get a glimpse of it, and then you get beat. The next pitch, it's a curveball, basically buckles him at the knees, strike three, and pandemonium ensues. Catcher runs to the mound, jumps into the arms of Neftali Feliz, unbridled joy. Yes, there's happiness in that, but an unbridled joy because they will never forget that moment. I will never forget that moment for me as I sat in the living room and watched it. I saw a video later of one of the guys that's been on sports radio in Dallas for 40 years, probably the biggest Ranger fan you can ever meet, 65 years old at the time, was at an event for the radio station, sits on the ground Indian style, like in, cross leg style like a child, weeping in joy. Did we win the World Series? No. But in that moment, that night, we were the best team in the world. And we'd never experienced anything like that. When Jesus brings joy into our life, It is that unbridled joy that we've never experienced before. Because happiness is fleeting, but joy stays with you. And Jesus is saying, I'm here to make a wedding feast that's full of joy. If you know Jesus as a bridegroom, then you know his joy. He said that one day he's going to be taken away, which he's suggesting, he's foreshadowing rejection and death. But in the meantime, there's good reason for joy. And what is the reason for joy? Because his story is being furthered here by people, sinners coming to repentance. Sinners' stories were changing, and so God's story was being furthered. And from that, this leads us to the first parable I want to look at. It's actually a double parable. Two parables to illustrate one point. And these parables are the parables of the garment and the new wineskin. Look at verses 36 through 39 again. It says, he, was all, he also told them a parable. No one tears a piece from a new garment and puts it on the old garment. If he does, he will tear the new and the piece from the new will not match the old. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the new wine will burst and sk- the skins and it will be spilled and the skins will be destroyed. But new wine must be put into fresh wineskins, and no one, after drinking old wine, desires new, for he says the old is good. Jesus brings the new. He brings completely new. When I was growing up, I was a hard kid on jeans, 
on the knees of jeans. And now patches on jeans are cool, but back then, my mom couldn't afford any new jeans, and so she would get those iron-on patches on her knees. And many of you know exactly what I'm talking about. They didn't match. They looked horrible. It was kind of a sign that either... um, Mom was tired of buying jeans or that you didn't have a lot of money because they just kept patching the jeans. And she'd put those patches on my knees, and within two hours, I'd have them either ripped off or a new hole in them. Jesus is saying that here. He's saying is he's bringing something new because if you try and, and combine the old and the new, it just doesn't work. It has to be something completely new because what he's saying is, You know, as Pharisees, you know the old covenant. You know the covenant of the law. I'm bringing something new. I'm bringing a covenant of grace. A covenant that's going to supersede the law. You're no longer going to have to live by works. You're going to get to live by faith. And the grace that comes from that. We're no longer bound to this covenant of law. But we are bound to the covenant of grace. He's bringing forgiveness, rescue, and hope. He's bringing a new life for a sinner that repents. And I don't know about you, but for me, this is where the enemy gets me. Because this is where he constantly reminds me of who I was when I wasn't walking with Christ. And he tells me that, um, he gets me to believe the lie that I'm not and can never be good enough for the grace of Christ. Because he wants me to live underneath that old law. That old covenant that Jesus, uh, that was given uh, to Abraham. And Jesus is saying, there's nothing further from the truth because I bring something new. I'm not going to patch your life. I'm going to give you a new life. I'm going to replace the old with the new. The second part of this double parable takes it a step further. Now, remember they're at a great feast. And at a great feast in Jewish custom, there's going to be wine flowing. And so Jesus uses something that's present, something that's part of their culture, and something that's easy to understand. He uses the the illustration of wineskins. And when wineskins are used in old, and and if you don't know what a wineskin is, it's a bag that that they would pour wine into or or pour the, the grape juice into so that it begin the process of fermentation and begin the process of becoming wine. And so so when 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 wineskins were old and used that fermentation process the chemical reaction that takes place inside of it caused those wineskins to be brittle and old and they could not stretch the way they needed to because when wine ferments it creates carbon dioxide if you know anything about carbon dioxide that's a gas that that creates bubbles and expands in fact when wine is fermenting it produces carbon dioxide at about a rate of 40 times the volume of grape juice So you pour a little bit of grape juice in there and then it starts to ferment and what's going to happen? It's going to expand. And so these wine skins are made so that they can stretch and they have the strength to stretch and still be able to hold that volume that's created. If it's a wine skin that's old and fragile, it's going to burst and spill the wine. And then when wine hits the ground, it's ruined, right? It's going to burst and spill the wine. A wine that is maturing needs to be in a new wineskin that can handle the pressure and heat from the chemical reaction taking place inside it. So Jesus is saying, I got to give you something new. There's got to be something new 
because you're about to go through a process. You're about to go through a change. You're about to mature and grow, and we've got to have something that can hold that. We've got to have this new wineskin. And he ends this parable with an interesting statement. After spending so much time talking about new things, and everybody getting excited because there's new stuff coming, he says, no one after drinking old wine will desire new. For the old is good. Now wait a second. Doesn't that go completely against all this new he was just talking about? This is what he's talking about. He says, if you know anything about wine, a vintage wine, an old wine, is valued so much higher than new wine because it's had a chance to mature properly. It's had a chance to get all the flavors just right, to become bold, to become strong and rich in character. Jesus wants to grow and mature us much like vintage wine. He wants us to mature and become bold and strong and rich in character. And as we allow God to penetrate our lives, as we experience more of the power of the Holy Spirit, as we learn about the new life that God's provided us in repentance, we begin to mature towards beauty and holiness. Begins to mature towards becoming the servant of the king that God desires us to be. And so he spends this time talking about new garments, new wineskins, because there's something new that needs to be strong. Because what he's going to do in our lives is going to change the world. But if we shift gears a little bit, um, when we look at the context of the times that the scripture was written, what does that mean for us today? How do we know that we're moving towards the life that Jesus is describing here? How do we know that we're maturing and we're growing and we're becoming rich and bold in character? How can us being new wine vessels carry the new covenant Jesus brought with him? And it's simple. We look at the fruit that we bear. And unfortunately, many people who claim to know Christ and would say they fit the bill that the parables are talking about will never bear the fruit that the Holy Spirit working, that shows the Holy Spirit's working inside of them. They'll never bear that fruit. How do I know? Well, because Jesus talks about it. If you flip over to Matthew chapter 21, Jesus has begun his journey into Jerusalem for the week leading up to the central point in history. This was the week of the, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so he's, uh, Jesus is, is coming into Jerusalem knowing what's going to happen. And up until now, he's been full of, loving, of love and grace, showing immeasurable restraint and soft spirit. But we see in Matthew 21 a shift, a turn in his tone, a, a turn in his attitude. The chapter begins with Jesus in the triumphal entry. The crowds are cheering and celebrating his arrival. Hosanna, Hosanna. You could easily view this as Jesus' time had arrived. The scriptures say the whole city was stirred up, abuzz with excitement as the prophet Jesus was coming to town. It was a rocking place. They were excited. But there were also people that weren't real happy about it. Jesus arrives after the triumphal entry and he goes straight to the temple he arrives at the temple and he sees a scene that makes him very angry. He overthrows the tables and cleanses the temple because he's reacting to things that are not holy and honoring God. He's reacting to things that don't show maturity, that don't show character. He's reacting to things that are not furthering 
the story, but taking away from the story. He's bringing light to the hypocrisy of the people in the temple. Because in, in the context of the day, those that wanted to grow closer to God went to the temple. But also those that wanted to follow the law went to the temple. And he brings light, the light of the hypocrisy of the people in the temple. And in verse 16, he references Psalm 8-2, reminding them that they should know the scriptures and they don't. He's saying, you, you hear, you should know what the scriptures say. You who are the religious leaders have been taught this from the time you were a young child. You should know this, and you're not. Verse 16 of Matthew chapter 18, he says, sorry, I forgot to mark my Bible. Matthew 21, sorry. Um, in verse 16, out of the, he said, Jesus said to them, you have never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared praise. He's reminding them of what they learned as a child in, in Psalm 8-2. And then he leaves. So he turns the tables, speaks tough words to them, and then leaves. And he goes and stays for Bethany, stays in Bethany for the evening. Basically, he's so upset he's got to get out of town. So he leaves and he goes, and the next morning he comes back to Jerusalem because he has things he needs to do. And on his way to Jerusalem, he gets very hungry. And, and when he gets hungry, he sees a fig tree, and he notices that it has leaves on it. Verse 18, in the morning, as he was returning to the city, he became hungry. And seeing a fig tree by the wayside, he went to it and found nothing on it but only leaves. And he said to it, may no fruit ever come from you again. And the fig tree withered at once. When the disciples saw it, they marveled, saying, how did the fig tree wither at once? And Jesus answered them, truly I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt... You will not only do what has been done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, it will happen. And whatever you ask for in prayer, you will receive if you have faith. Jesus curses a fig tree. Now this fig tree has leaves on it. He notices that the leaves are on it. And so if there's leaves on a fig tree, that means it's blooming and it should have fruit on it. It means that it is in season. He gets to the tree and notices that there's no leaves on it, or that there are leaves on it, but there's no fruit. And so he curses it, saying that this tree will never bear fruit again. Because the tree shows one thing on the outside and completely something different on the inside. Many of us live our lives that way. We put a facade on the outside on, of holiness and righteousness and great churchgoers, and on the inside we are dead. It's a perfect example of don't judge a book by its cover. I was trying to think of something that really would bring this point home. And I thought of brisket. It's almost lunchtime, so let's talk about brisket for a minute. You know when you get a good brisket? On the outside, it's got a great bark on it. It's charred. It's black. For me, I like, I like a bark that's got some salt in it, so it's salty when you bite into it. You see that at a restaurant, and you're like, this is the place I'm going to get fat on. And how disappointing is it when you cut into that brisket and take the first bite, and it's like breaking your teeth? Because it's not moist or juicy. They did great getting the bark and maybe even getting a smoke ring in it. But the inside is no good. They might have chosen a poor cut of meat or, 
or cooked it too, too hot, too fast. They didn't let it settle. They didn't let it rest when it came off the fire. The outside looked great, but the inside is nothing. Jesus is calling us to a life that grows and matures and bears fruit. We're to be messengers of the gospel with our words and with our actions. And it begins with the maturing of our spirit and ends with the outpouring of the gospel to the nations. Because when our lives mature, when we become vintage in Christ, the world has changed. Look at what St. Francis of Assisi said. said, the preacher must first draw from secret prayers that he will later pour out in holy sermons. He must first grow hot within before he speaks words that are in themselves cold. He's talking about preachers, but I think this translates to every Christian in the world. Everyone that calls himself a follower of Christ, everyone that wants to be a disciple of Christ, needs to begin with prayers, studying God's word, growing closer to him, so that that becomes an outpouring of our lives. The heat that happens inside of us, of Jesus growing us, pours out into the world and takes what can be a cold message of if you don't believe in Jesus, you're going to go to hell. You have no eternal life. You have eternal death if you don't believe in Jesus. And that message can be hard to hear, but when we have grown and matured and become so bold in Christ that our words speak truth in warmth and love, it softens that. And people want to know more. And people want to come and grow and, and learn and discover what is this thing that, that you've experienced in your life that's changed you, that's moved you from here to here, and how can I be a part of that? Paul says in Romans ten fourteen, how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? How will they believe in him whom they have not heard? And how will they hear without a preacher? It's not just what's on the outside of us. When we fill our lives with the word of God, when we fill our lives with the truth that he's given us and he grows and matures that and marinates that inside of us, the words that come out of us share the gospel. I've always liked this image that, that if, if I'm a believer in God and I fill my spirit with him, every word I speak, the breath that comes out of my mouth when I speak is the breath of God pouring onto someone. And that's the way I want to live my life. We can all preach the gospel. And we can do it in the things that we do in our life, the actions. But we also do it with our words. We do it with our story. It's, it's our, it, it is God's story, but it's our story. And it's easy to present because it's ours. Each of us can share our story as part of his story. And when our lives match our words, the new wineskin grows stronger. When we begin to do that, grow in him, it all grows stronger. But you got to have a relationship with Jesus to do that.
And it's very simple. All you have to do is believe that he died on the cross for you. But most importantly, rose from the dead. Because in that, he defeated death. And it doesn't matter what you've done in your life. It doesn't matter all the negativity, all the bad. You might think you're the worst person in the world. And it doesn't matter. Jesus died for you. He rose for you. And so I'm going to be here this morning. I'd love to, to visit with you if you have questions about that. And if you're not comfortable walking up front, I'm going to be back at the Welcome Center after, after the service, and we can uh, visit back there. I'd love to, to share that story with you and how we can make God's story, your story, part of God's story, the redemption that comes with that. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you for the grace that you give us on a daily basis. And I pray that there's if anyone in this room that doesn't know you, Lord. That their story has not connected with your story yet. That you would bring them closer to you. That you would call them to you and that they would answer that call. But Father, for those of that are that are believers, as we leave here today, I pray that you would grow us into bold, mature followers of you that every person we come in contact with experiences you because of our love for them. You've done amazing things in our lives and we look forward to the future things you're going to do in us. In your name we pray. Amen. Just stand and sing with us. Blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Oh, what a foretaste of glory divine. Heir of salvation, purchase of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior. Perfect submission, perfect delight, visions of rapture burst on my side. Angels descending, bring from above, echoes of mercy, whispers of love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Submission, 
is at rest. I am my Savior and happy and blessed. Watching and waiting, looking above, filled with His goodness, lost in His love. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. Cause this is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. In my Savior all the day long. I want to thank you all for being here today. Um, this was the first of a, a six week series, so we're going to dive more into the parables. I pray that you would, would come back um, uh, and uh, as uh, John and Eddie and myself teach through this series, um, and uh, as we begin to learn how to do ministry together. Um, I'm excited to learn how to do ministry with you guys as well. Um, Manny and I are going to stand back at the Welcome Center. If we haven't met you yet, we'd love to um, get to know you. So stop by there. If you want to talk or have prayer with us, uh, we'll be there as well. Um, but uh, I just pray that God does great things in your life this week. And uh, we will see you next Sunday.